0: what's up everybody orange and or black insider Bengals podcast coming at you i'm anthony kazenza joined by john sheeran john's already getting his happy hour kicked off the right way i can see hopefully you are all as well it feels like it's been a little while since we've taken the air it's definitely been a while since we've done listener questions live so looking forward to it john sheeran i need to start the show off with an apology a public apology to you my friend because my god I have been a mess this week, uh, and no thanks to Cox Communications as well out in my neck of the woods with the internet issues last night. I had some family things come up Wednesday, kind of a a little personal day, so we were going to push it to Thursday. John was just sitting there waiting, being a great co-host, being a great guy, and then the internet issues occur late yesterday, and so we're like, holy hell, what is happening? So John, I apologize for keeping you waiting around and jerking you around. Schedule wise, man. But how you doing? Other than me screwing around with your schedule,
1: adapt and survive, man. Show business. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm 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 just happy that only your internet was out uh, for part of this week. In Cincinnati, we had a pretty bad storm on Monday, and oh, yeah. I didn't even know like parts of my hometown like a lot of it was out power for like two days. And like one of my best friends who still lives up there, uh, they didn't have power for like 36 hours, and then they were just chilling in their cars with the AC on because. It was also in the middle of a heat wave. So I think this was like the last day of of it being hot in Cincinnati. You know, it's I guess, mild over there in L.A., but it was pretty hot for us. and It's pretty humid. But, you know, glad everything's back to normal.
0: That is good to hear that things are back to normal. Did not really know the full scope of the, the storm situation over there, but uh, glad things are kind of normalizing. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna be taking your questions. We'll be here, I don't know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, something like that, whatever, however it takes, however long it takes to get to as many questions as possible. As always, you can send those to us via the YouTube, live YouTube chats, the, the Cincy Jungle Facebook page, the stream that's going there. We have a post up on cincyjungle.com where you can leave comments in the thread. You can call or text 949-542-6241. You can email email us, the at gmail.com. You can get us on Twitter at BengalsOBI, maybe even the Cincy Jungle Twitter. No excuses. Play like a champion. Get your questions in, and we will get to as many as possible. Also, before we start kind of rattling these things off, a little bit of a quick announcement. I was kind of running through it with John before we took the air as well. Uh, next week, to kind of continue our AFC North previews, uh, it's a good thing we didn't schedule it this week. Good God. Um, so next week we're going to be talking with uh, the members of the Believe in Steelers podcast. Both of them have previously been on this show at separate times. So it's kind of cool. We're hoping to get both on Mark Bergen and Ike Taylor, former Steelers cornerback, uh, potentially set to join us as well. But we're going to kind of get a peek over the the Pittsburgh side of the fence, get all kinds of different uh, takes and rundowns of their draft and uh, honestly their takes too john of of the Bengals. I, i'm kind of interested especially if ike is able to join us i'm interested to see what he thinks of these these new bangles because he was accustomed to the marvin Bengals, chad carson andy the whole crew um pretty interested to see what he thinks about this new crew
1: not only that but i'm really curious what people following the steelers think of the steelers because i know a lot of Bengals fans are already labeling them as the fourth place team in this division but I, I would imagine that a decent amount of Steelers fans and analysts think that they're probably going to be better just because they don't have Ben anymore and like as as mid as Mitchell Trubisky might be he might actually be better than 40 year old Ben so I'm, I'm interested with that conversation
0: yeah i going to talk some quarterbacks going to talk about uh, not only the one that maybe left in Big Ben but also the you know the ones that they've got on the roster now: Trubisky, Kenny Pickett, et cetera. But um, at any at any rate, let's get going and kick things off with the. Oh, this is a good one from Haas. All right, this is kind of a talking point <laughs> of the week: likelihood of OBJ to Cincinnati, and yes, that we did tease with a little bit of a picture on the video, et cetera. So um, I don't know, John. There's obviously this is stemming from. An Instagram post of Joe Burrow at practice saying, my spidey sense is tingling or something like that as he's kind of doing stuff at the line of scrimmage during a drill. OBJ, one of the first, or at least one of the top commenters, saying, what, the one or something like that uh, to that to that effect. And of course, a lot of ties with these two based on the LSU connection and all that kind of stuff played against each other when OBJ was in Cleveland. Um, I don't know. Is this this, I don't know if this is, it's hard to think, like, is it just a little bit of this weird, you know, social media connection? People are just running with it because news is a little slow, or do you do you see this thing kind of getting a little bit of steam behind the hype train?
1: Joe Burrow is cool, like, legitimately, and I think he has the respect and admiration of other high-profile icons in the league, including Odell. And I think when I saw that, my first thought was just the LSU connection, like, He was literally in the Superdome locker room handing out bands to these guys smoking the cigars and the smoke watching, you know, cops try to try to arrest some of these kids like he was in the (laughs) thick of it. Like I think that was like around the start of whatever relationship that they had, but they have that LSU connection. I think that's where that respect and that kind of friendship has derived from now. That now that the Bengals are like good and they're relevant, and people want to play with Burrow, like they're always going to be connected to these sort of things. And I think with Odell, we don't really know like what the deal with him is right now because he's coming off of that injury that he suffered in the Super Bowl. I think there was a report saying today that he wants at least seven million uh, to play th- for this season. So I think just for the fact that the Bengals could use another receiver, they have that connection. With, with Beckham and Burrow and obviously it goes beyond just Burrow I'm sure he loves Chase he played with Lyle Collins at LSU so there are connections on the roster beyond just his admiration for Burrow but I think naturally Cincinnati falls into that line I don't think that it's necessarily them being the favorites I think they're just amongst the most logical teams there and there's also just there's this weird narrative with Odell like people look at him as a diva because of what happened with New York and Cleveland I think the only thing that we can reasonably say about Odell is that he just doesn't think Baker Mayfield's a good quarterback. Everything else seems to be kind of lazy profiling to me. So if he wants to be here, I would imagine that he would fit right in, and I don't think there would be an issue with culture. I think it just comes down to if the Bengals truly want to invest a lot of money into wide receiver four, even though he would benefit the roster, that is ultimately what's going to come down to. I
0: I, Exactly. The dollars and cents in multiple senses of the word, Uh, C-E-N-T-S and s e n se right uh yeah wide receiver four. to come here to the Bengals pay him seven plus million as he is desiring again the market's a little soft for him because maybe this narrative maybe that narrative that is flimsy about his actions attitude all that kind of stuff maybe that is a little bit of a league perception as well i don't i don't really know but the the thing with it is paying that money for a wide receiver four would be you know kind of uh, you know a lot it would it would signal two things though if if the Bengals paid that money and if OBJ came here uh really knowing that he was going to be wide receiver 3 4 what have you down the pecking order behind the young guns there uh, it's going it would say two things number one that's an all in move by the Bengals um it really it really would be i mean i know especially now that they fixed the offensive line and they've done some other things but that's an additional all in move to really say hey We're we're not only the Joneses that everyone else is keeping up with in the, in the AFC, but we're, we're, we're going to kind of keep, you know, another pace ahead of all these other teams, or at least perceived, perceived to be doing so. And then of course, the ego stuff that we're talking about potentially with OBJ, him taking that money. And you would assume he's understanding the role in which he would come to Cincinnati as wide receiver, three wide receiver, four. And you would say, you know, I, I think, to your point John, that would debunk some of the ego locker room issue type of stuff if he's willing to come in and be that guy knowingly down the pecking order in the passing offense kind of chase a ring for the second year in a row.
1: Yeah, and I think the price that is reported for him, I think that matters because 7 million for receivers now is basically pennies. Like he's not under the impression that he's a wide receiver 1 anymore that he's going to command that type of market, especially coming off of an injury. And then you're talking about kind of splitting hairs between being labeled as a wide receiver four, three, or two. He wouldn't be anything higher than, I guess, three, if you if you really want to get into like the, the semantics within the Bengals' offense. So I think there's a recognition for him that he re- he realizes that he's kind of a complimentary receiver at this point in his career. He's 30. His prime is probably past. But again, if he wants to be here, if he feels like he would you know fit in with the guys on the team in the locker room and everything, then they can definitely make that work. And I don't think it, it will it'll lead to some of the problems that I think fans are worried about. So it's all about if both sides want to get it done. I just don't, again, I don't really see the Bengals going that steep in terms of a price for a receiver. That's going to ultimately play behind three other guys that they're really comfortable with.
0: And I don't think that for those who are anti OBJ or whatever, I don't, I don't think bringing him in would be, you know, this immediate locker room cancer in this immediate situation. I think they've got a pretty solid, you know, situation through the Bengals in terms of what they uh, what, what they've got built in place in that locker room and obviously that that shows there but Joby J I don't know if that's a if that's a term <laughs> yet uh, we'll see we'll see if that comes to fruition where are we going next John
1: so we should address um, number 30 because he's always in the news nowadays mm-hmm. or at least he's being put himself in the news by fans I think we got a question from Robert Obrick basically asking would you Guys, be willing to pay Jesse Bates sixteen million per year. I guess sixteen is a raised price from where maybe we thought it was before. I Minka mean, Fitzpatrick got a four-year, seventy-two and a half million dollar extension. But I guess Anthony, like, is the price still right for Bates now that the market has kind of shifted a little bit? Or, or are you kind of at the same
0: point where you were before? I, I mean, it's just that's that's where the market is set now for top safety. I mean, there's just not really a doubt about it. That's, that's where the market is set now. And you've got Minka in there and you've got Justin Simmons in there and you've got Jamal Adams. I mean, it's just, that's, that's where the top safeties are being paid. And that's where Jesse Bates wants to be paid somewhere locked in there. Now, an interesting thing, um, Joe, Joe Goodberry, said i believe on twitter uh when the Minka fitzpatrick deal came out and he kind of echoed a, a thought that i had about it is you know the steelers do structure in some ways their contracts similarly to what the Bengals do in in terms of you know the guaranteed money isn't always there or isn't always as high as other teams and they rely on you know kind of the the overall money in the in the contract and or obviously their culture as an organization, their winners and, you know, all of that and players kind of gravitate to that. I think the Bengals are trying to continue to build upon that based on what happened last year. And and that's kind of the messaging. But I mean, this is kind of, I think, unfortunately, it is what it is and it's not, there's not really movement from either side in terms of what they would like. Maybe a little bit more desperation comes into play either this summer from either side or you know as as the free agency frenzy hits next year i will tell you this the jesse bates will get this if, if the bagels do not pay him this jesse bates will get this kind of money on the open market and free agency next year regardless i mean whether you think he's worth it whether you don't think he's worth it he's he's you know one of the best safeties He's too inconsistent wherever you sit on this thing he's going to get that money because we have seen team in march pay absorbent amount of money or Good players, average players, all kinds of players across the board. So he's going to get that money next spring, whether he, you know, whether it's with the Bengals or not.
1: And to just to add on to that, because I know people are looking at his kind of up and down regular season as a way to justify not paying him that money. There's a reason why the Bengals tagged him, and it's because they believe that if he were to go to the open market then he would receive an offer that they would not be able to match. That's the reason why you tag someone with the franchise tag in the first place, but the franchise tag for the safety position, even though it's increased over recent years, it's still amongst the bottom um, positions in like the sport right now. It's still around, you know, where tight end and running back is unfortunately for the position it's grown, but it's still relative to other premium positions. It's still relatively cheap. So 16, 18 million per year, it, it sounds big for anyone, but It's not quarterback money. It's not even linebacker money. It's not wide receiver, edge rusher money. It's still relatively manageable compared to other premium positions. And to answer the question, yes, of course, Jesse Bates is worth that money because he is that good of a player. I I recognize that there were some struggles with him last year. He was distracted because of all the contract talks and it's stalling and that gets in your head and that's perfectly fine. But the ability is still there. We saw it crystal clear in the playoffs and that ability hasn't gone anywhere, and that's ultimately what you pay for. And the fact that he's still only 25 years old, he's still in the prime of his career, he's going to be in the prime of his career for a number of years. And like you said, if the Bengals would offer him that, he's going to get it from someplace else. And that might just be what the Bengals kind of bet on, that they can be fine without him while another team pays him that. But I would definitely
0: pay him that, because ultimately
1: he's a really good player and he deserves it.
0: He he does, and it's just a matter of what he thinks he is worth and what he believes he, he is worth and what a lot of people believe he is worth and how the organization not only views Jesse Bates' value personally, but also that position and how they value that position. We've talked about that ad nauseum in terms of how the Bengals, their position groups that they value far more than others, and safety just doesn't be, doesn't usually isn't usually up on that top of that pecking order. They do have Dax Hill as potentially a windfall there. We will see. I want to tack on a question we got via text, John. Um, odds that Jesse Bates doesn't play a snap in a Bengals uniform this season
1: um we're talking like percentage because i i don't really know how to do like like one in i don't know how to do like the implied odds off the top of my head so i'm gonna go with a percentage i guess the percentage that he doesn't play is one percent i think it's not statistically impossible that he sits out but that very rarely happens at all in the nfl like guys if they are willing they are able to play and they don't have the leverage of a franchise quarterback like deshaun watson they're going to play. Like he's not going to turn down $13 million guaranteed. I think he's playing.
0: I think he's playing as well. I don't, I don't see a situation wherein he he sits out the season. It may get a little sketchy during the summer. It may get a little sketchy as we get closer to September in terms of where is he, you know, how much is he participating, all that kind of stuff. But I think he's going to show up and he's going to play. I'm very interested because of that. I'm just very interested based on what you said about the struggles perceived struggles he had throughout much of the first part of the season last year because he was focused on his contract and all that kind of stuff and he he admitted as much I'm really interested to see this year you know on the on the franchise tag this is still you know lingering out there if if the Bengals and he do not come to some sort of agreement in the next couple of months here but I'm really interested to see how he plays this year is it going to be just like wow he's this is his best season is it going to be a little bit like what we've seen in a number of other seasons with him, which is a tale of two seasons within a season. I don't know, but I'm very interested in that. John, I I usually would let you have a turn, but we do have a call on the line. It is, it is Eric. Uh, Eric, giving us a call from the five one three. What's going on, bud? Nothing much, man. Uh, Thanks for having me on. I actually had um, kind of two questions. If you don't mind. Okay. Go for it. Uh, the first one has to do with uh jackson carmen i know that he's kind of uh you know had his personal issues i don't want to get into that but as far as being on um you know the field i know that he's also kind of struggled with that as well you know he's been kind of pancaked a couple different times and hasn't you know always showed up in shape and i just kind of wanted to get your feeling on that situation, as far as uh, you know, are is he going to start, or who do you think is going to start over him? Uh, and then, is that is that your two part question, or is there another another part to it? The other question, I, I just wanted to know uh, kind of what was going on with Mike Daniels, if if he was still on the team or. Uh, you know kind of what was going on with his situation as well all right cool we'll answer both those are both good questions and we we love us and mike daniels he's been an awesome guy to this <laughs> show so eric thanks for calling bud sure. good to hear from you all right thank you take Bye. care uh so we'll we'll answer some of these off the air here good to hear from eric uh I, look the jackson carmen thing we've we've talked about this a little bit that the pendulum of what he showed in his rookie year through preseason, through the regular season, there were some moments where he looked pretty stout on the line and he looked pretty good. And there were some moments where he was just all over the place and kind of, you know, uh, over his skates, so to speak, and did not look good. Um, There was obviously some, some rumblings about his conditioning. There were some rumblings about the back surgery heading into the draft and all of that, all of that stuff that compiled, you're hoping now that a year of mature, a year of maturity, both just getting older and being in the league for a year. That uh, remember, he was one of the youngest kids on the team last year. So when you when you have that, the maturity, potentially working a little harder to conditioning himself and having another year under Frank Pollock, they seem to be committed, and or he seems to be kind of going with the ones in terms of the starting uh starting left guard position so i mean they're they're kind of committed there but i mean it's it was a, in some ways it was a lot of it's weird it was, there was a lot of expected issues based on being young one of the youngest players on the team the back issue going into the draft and then just being a rookie offensive lineman and asked to play a high profile position you know pretty soon in his early career and You know, the rest of the team was kind of, hey, let's go, let's go, let's go. The team was kind of performing and he was kind of trying to play catch up a little bit in some ways.
1: Definitely in retrospect, I think we put a lot on him because like he was like the one answer to that guard spot that they didn't really have an answer for. And that was just kind of what the plan was because they drafted him in the second round, like a full round ahead when he was expected to be drafted. But that last point, you're right. It is tough for any rookie offensive lineman to adapt really quickly in the NFL. You look at Pene Sewell, you know, the guy that Bengals fans crowned as this next Anthony Munoz, like it took him about eight weeks to really get up to him playing at his potential just to get his feet under him. And with Carmen, like he wasn't even close to where Sewell was entering the league. Like the The age kind of comes in with that, but he wasn't quite that offensive lineman at Clemson to begin with. And he was playing a completely new position on the other side of the center. So rookie struggles were definitely to to be expected. I think, though, the rookies who do end up kind of hitting the ground running are the ones who are a little bit more prepared and maybe put in a little bit more work. And I don't like I don't like labeling guys as like immature or that they're not committed without like knowing them personally, because I think those rumors just get spread way too often, just frivolously without a lot of backing it up. So I I wasn't really comfortable with that with Jackson Carmen, like that talk around this time last year. But I think after a year of seeing how everything kind of played out, I think there was some weight to it. And I think in retrospect, we can look back and say, yeah, those are probably some righteous concerns, especially learning what actually may may have happened four years ago at Clemson anyways. So, right now he's the starter because they don't really have anyone else like Quinton Spain isn't back. And maybe if he was back, maybe he would be t- taking snaps with the ones, but if it's not Carmen, it's either identity or Corda Wilson. And I think they really like Wilson. And I think they still have good thoughts about identity, but if those two are your answers without Wilson, even showing anything beyond OTAs, then you don't really have any other options right now.
0: Right. And I've, you know, I've used this terrible draft cliche a little bit in terms of the, you know, some of these players here, but you look at, you know, Volson may be kind of the the high floor, not as high of a ceiling as a guy like Jackson Carmen. Jackson Carmen's kind of the, the low floor, maybe high ceiling kind of guy. And then you've kind of got that same kind of profile um, with Deontay Smith, right? The, the potentially low floor, but high high ceiling based on the measurables and all kinds of things. Smith, a guy that some people are wondering about guard with him. He's been getting some work at both tackle spots, my understanding, at OTAs and, and getting some backup work there. So that's good to see him being a flexible player there. Adenegy, again, a guy that the previous offensive line coach really liked, Jim Turner. I don't know that Frank Pollock, he's in the best graces of Frank Pollock. We'll see. I mean, I know they like him and they like his versatility, but I also know they like what they've seen from Cordell Volson so far. And then quickly for Eric's second question, John, Mike Daniels, uh, he's a free agent right now. And if you see if you've seen some of the stuff, particularly earlier this year on his social media profile, um, he was getting he was hitting the workouts hard. I don't think he's looking to really hang things up. At least that's not the impression I got a few months ago. Um, he may be a guy much like when he was signed by the Bengals in the first place because of injuries, because of depth concerns and all kinds of stuff. When this when the training camp practices happen, when that stuff really gets going, he may be a guy that people call. I have to say, and I I just got a soft on the guy because he was on our show like three or four times. I just really – I mean, he's a really engaging, awesome guy. But um, I got to give him major props, man, because he had to take a big ego swallow last year. And he – if you saw his preparation through the playoffs, his preparation as a guy that was, you know, practice squad and not called up after being a leader on that 2020 team – last year kind of had to ride the bench and, you know, kind of, uh, you know, swallow some pride a little bit. He he seemed to be ready and do whatever the Bengals needed him to do. And I, I can't, you know, applaud him enough for that.
1: 100%. Like the fact that he willingly joined a team coming off of two wins in the summer of 2020, yeah. he played a ton of snaps for them because they had no one else at defensive tackle. And he was, I think, I think because of his lack of talent around him i think people kind of elevated uh what he was doing he was still a good player but there was a Mm -hmm. reason why there wasn't a ton of interest outside of cincinnati bringing him back so for him to want to come back after four wins that season i think spoke a lot about how he enjoyed his time in cincinnati and then like you said having to just kind of swallow his pride and take the 150k paycheck per week on the practice squad instead of being on an active roster maybe someplace else but yeah i think he said as much in like february or march to to a Bengals fan on twitter that I have no intentions of retiring, so I imagine mm-hmm. he'll still be interested. His agent will still be poking around to see who needs a defensive tackle. Maybe that's the Bengals if they suffer a couple of injuries. There's always a connection or a relationship back there, but it wouldn't shock me to see Mike Daniels play at least one more year in the NFL.
0: I'm in agreement with you. Uh, we've got some others queued up. We've got uh, email, text, all that kind of stuff. We'll get to those, and just want to remind folks you can – Call or text 949-542-6241. Email us theobinsider at gmail.com. You can get us on Twitter at Bengals OBI, or you can get us in one of the live chats, YouTube, Sincey Jungle, Facebook, um, or the post on Sincey Jungle. We do take priority to the super chats because we're greedy little little guys like that so uh if you want to if you're so inclined give us one of those and you'll you'll get to the top of the list here we're going to still try and get to as many as possible john i've done the last couple here so you are up sir
1: yeah any any super chats right now with gas at five five bucks a gallon would be very <laughs> very appreciated very very helpful so thank you for that just a quick yeah. shout out though to matthew grundy who is at the hospital waiting for his son to be born is um, he really yeah, so congratulations to Matt and his- Oh, is this right, his, right
0: here? Yeah. Yeah, and his wow. significant
1: other. So congratulations on the soon-to-be baby Grundy. Uh, if you can yeah. drop his name in the comments, that'd be great. We'd love to have the little little guy on the show every once in a while. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them.
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: But uh, Mr. Whisper, he was asking, what do you think of the Bengals having Alex Kappa taking a second picture of media day, not using the number 66? He meant... Um, not using his number, but also taking down with number 65. Could this mean that they're talking with Ogunjobi behind the scenes is it even worth it? Yeah, yada, yada. So Alex Kappa is number 66 on the roster right now, but I think he took pictures with that number and the number 65. And Anthony, to me, that just means that there is an offer on the table for Ogunjobi to come back. And if he decides to decline it, Alex Kappa is taking his old number 65 <laughs> from the Bucks. So, I mean, there's probably not more more than that to read into it, but. You know, it's kind of interesting, though.
0: So you do you are of the belief that the Bengals have something out there to Ogunjobi to get him. Yeah. to Yeah, be, be, the, huh? the, the,
1: the, the, that was the deal with Huber, too. Like, Huber had an offer before the draft and then mm-hmm. they didn't draft a punter. And then he ended up taking it. So I could easily see that being the same case with Ogunjobi.
0: Man, the Bengals could really play this thing. um Yeah, you know, I mean, they, they could play this thing pretty well here we're talking about obj coming off of an injury and where wide receiver numbers are contractually if they're able to get him and maybe bring him in and into the fold as wide receiver four and then you're talking about ogan Joby coming off of a bad injury a guy who was very valuable to them last year in their defense if you're able to get him on the cheap because of the injury sad situations for both but you know both postseason injuries that that ended him but you know, I mean, if you're able to get two guys like that on rental type deals or affordable deals that can really help your team this late. I mean, man, that would be that would be quite the quite the get on both of those occasions there. So I I, I guess I'm in agreement. I, I didn't really, you know, definitively think the Bengals have some, you know, this is the offer out there with Ogunjobi. I kind of thought that they were maybe monitoring him, seeing how that injury you know, was, was coming along. I think he had, God, was it the jets again that, that were, that came on and he did yeah. a visit with the jets. God almighty. Um. So yeah, it's like, God, dude, the jets just and the Bengals players, it's becoming the Buffalo bills all over again. But uh, so I, I think the Bengals are, are definitely interested in bringing him back. It's got to make sense financially. And, you know, Ogan Joby again is probably unfortunately, in a little bit of a similar situation last last year was more about, you know, perceived on field performance. Unfortunately this year was the injury because the bears were set to give him a lot of money uh, before failing that physical. And then that, you know, that's where it is right now. So um, I, maybe, maybe Joby comes back. Maybe that's out there. That's, that's, a, I guess, I don't know if it's even tinfoil hat stuff, but it is conjecture <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll see, but I don't know, man. I, I, I think it'd be a pretty good move. Um, if they were able to get him back. I know he's kind of, you know, uh, the, another one of those guys where the pendulum kind of swings a little bit of both ways. But um, when he is on, man, he makes he makes some big plays. And I think j-
1: just adding on to that, I think having him spilling or spelling BJ Hill would honestly be better than like the alternative because I think Hill is probably just the more consistent, more well-rounded player. And Ogajobi can just give you kind of a burst as a pass rusher. So it really all depends on if he wants to return to the situation and have the roles kind of reverse, which I could totally understand if he didn't because he was the starter last year and he probably still feels like he can be a starter. So he can definitely take his time with this. And the more time he does take the healthier that his foot is. And then, you know, the quicker that he can contribute as soon as he signs somewhere, there's going to be teams that need offensive tackles along with Mike Daniels. And I think Ogunjobi is right now one of, one of, if not the most attractive player in on that position on the market right now. So it really is up to him if he wants to maybe take a little bit less than what he had last year and also take a little bit less of a role. But I think my confidence in saying that there's probably an offer out there is because I think the Bengals expected to spend a little bit more because they I think they thought that they could do something with Jesse Bates. They're they have like I think 14 million cap space, accounting for like top 53, not just the offseason top 51 rule. So I think there's a handful of million more that they, that they expected to spend. I think they expected to spend a little bit more cash too, because their cash to cap ratio is a little bit smaller than what it has been in recent years. So I think there's another move to be made here. It could be like an extent extension for Von Bell. It could be miraculously a Jesse Bates extension, even though that's not expected, but I think they expected to spend a little bit more and maybe Yogan Joby could be that last piece.
0: So that's a great segue to an email we got from Ron, um, are the Bengals looking to sign in any other free agents at this point right now? Again, here's, here's some of the names you got, Ogunjobi, you, you are of the belief. And I, you know, I'm kind of with you there that there's a, there's maybe an offer out there on the table. There is, you know, there is, um, I, I believe in, in Dominic and Sue is still out there, right? Uh, he has yet to be signed. We've talked about Will Fuller as a you know, wide receiver option as a wide receiver for, um, you know, I mean, there's some of these guys out there, whether they have been with the Bengals or just had some previous ties or have not had previous ties, just things that may make sense there. Do you, do you see the Bengals going after either signing one of the guys or maybe another that we're not taught OBJ? I mean, I see our buddy strawberry ice. We, we did talk OBJ earlier, Jeff, I promise. So you got to back and rewind there, but I mean, are you seeing somebody, in the fold here, someone that's floating out there, where you uh, just top of mind, where you go, hey, this is maybe an outside guy that that could come in and either on a rental deal. That's I mean, that's mostly what they'd be signing at this point anyway.
1: Yeah, I feel like we, we talk about like the notable names. I know Eddie Goldman is still out there. Um, yeah, him, Sue, and uh, Limbaugh, Joseph, and Ogunjobi are probably the top defensive tackles. Will Fuller, we're going to ask about that by Paul s Step. If we mm-hmm. we rather have him or OBJ, I feel like the signings being made during camp is usually guys that kind of fly way under the radar and maybe have something to prove. Maybe they didn't get a lot of opportunities at their last spot. Maybe they're guys that they had high marks on when they came out of college. And I think those are the guys that usually get picked up specifically by the Bengals because we cover them. We are pretty familiar with them. Those are the guys that kind of fill out the remainder of the roster. Zach Taylor was asked about like those two final roster openings um, currently there and, I think he said along the lines of there's just insurance in case something does happen in camp where we need extra bodies. It's good to have two extra spots available for a guy who can just, you know, come in and and take those snaps. I don't think they're really looking at the high profile guys that, you know, everyone kind of knows about. So I can't really give like a name off the top of my head because there are a ton of free agents that we know, know very little about, but that's why these guys get paid to scout these guys 365 days a year.
0: Yeah. And some of the outside linebackers, edge players that, um, are still out there you've got i think attack mckinley um and, and mckinley was the guy the Bengals brought in and then he failed the physical right i think that was yeah. in 2020 um Derek wolf just went under uh went under surgery i think so i don't i don't know that he's uh gonna be gonna be back and then you've got i think jpp is still out there um you know you've got carl nasib you've got carlos dunlap uh, I don't. I don't see that happen. Jeremiah, uh, uh, gosh, Atat, Atachu. Hopefully, I'm saying that right. Um, you know, I mean, there's there's some others. This uh, just at a list I'm looking at, maybe that um, may or may not be the most updated. But I mean, those are some of the names I think that are still floating out there. Technically, I don't know that that makes sense, but we'll see. I know people yeah. are looking at edge edge depth for the Bengals. You know what I mean? I think based on, yeah, Joseph Osai and, yeah, all the other players, but they, they want maybe a, another potentially established player. And uh, the player that just got scooped up by the the Lions at the Bengals were in the waiver. His name uh, escapes me you. at the moment. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I mean, they were, they were looking. They were interested.
1: Yeah, I think there's not really a single position that's off the table. For me, like, they usually go into camp with four quarterbacks. They only have three right now, so I don't know if that means that, hey, Jake Browning, you're You've really improved, or maybe they just don't <laughs> see a quarterback right now that is worth a spot. But they traditionally go with four throughout camp just to split out the reps. So if they stick with three, you're going to see a lot of Jake Browning in the preseason.
0: Yeah, uh, where are we going next, man?
1: Hmm. Come on, guys. You're kind of, you guys are kind of lacking on the questions. So we should we go uh, with? St- I, go it. Go for it. Should we go with... now? Go with an email. We'll we'll st- we'll, we'll ask. Well, this one. This one is.
0: Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Um, this is the one on uh, the Cincy jungle post new day. Who day is the poster uh, a recent poster on C- Cincy jungle mentioned a possible trade with the Eagles of Jesse Bates for Andre Diller, a second round pick. What do you think of this trade scenario? And do you think it's viable? I do not think it's viable, but. um
1: I- Yeah. Second round pick would be, I think. What the Bengals would probably be hoping for there. I think with Dillard, that's just the way to like trade away a player for the Eagles that like has no value to them anymore. I don't know how much value Dillard would have with the Bengals, considering I think he's only got one year left on his contract because I don't imagine that they exercise exercise the fifth year option. I remember though that 2019 draft, I think that was Dave Lapham's projection or prediction for that uh, draft pick.
0: He was talked about a lot with the Bengals, 100%. yeah, Yeah.
1: And I think it was because Lapham didn't expect. Jonah to be available at 11. So it just became like, Oh, if Dillard's there and Jonah's gone, he's the pick. So I don't know if they still feel that highly about Dillard, but obviously hasn't really done much. He hasn't started for the Eagles or hasn't started very well for them. So I I don't know if like Dillard is even like, would be part of the trade or if the Bengals would even want him. But if the Bengals were interested in trading Jesse Bates, I think a second round pick would be their, their best um, uh, possible return. It's just, I just don't, I think there's even a smaller chance that Bates gets traded compared to him not playing on the tag. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't see the, yeah. I don't see the Bengals coming off of a Super Bowl run and trading away one of their five best players, even with the contract dispute. I just don't see that happening.
0: I, yeah. Unless he is dead set. I'm not showing up for anything. I'm not showing up. I mean, if that is known within those walls that he is not showing up even for the regular season, then that's where the trade would probably occur. That doesn't, That that rumor or that piece of information has not really been permeating out to people, so at this point, I think if the Bengals are under the impression that he is going to show up and play at least for the regular season, they will keep him on this franchise tag, they will play him, and they will forego a trade and then let things play out the way they play out the following spring. If for some reason Jesse Bates' camp comes back to the table and maybe gets a little closer to what the Bengals may be offering him, then we're having a different discussion. But for right now, I think the plan is Jesse Bates is going to play for the Bengals in 22, and that's kind of that. The trade's not going to happen unless Jesse says, I'm not showing up for anything. Um, that's that's my take on it.
1: Yeah, You got to remember, like he hasn't signed the tender yet, and if he doesn't sign the tender by July 15th in like 28 days, he does not get paid. And there's only like a handful, maybe like two examples in recent memory where that's happened. One was Le'Veon Bell. We all know what happened with him. One was Deshaun Watson. Now we can say what we want about Deshaun Watson. He obviously had the leverage to re- to make up the earnings that he lost by not playing for the Texans. Jesse Bates unfortunately does not have that leverage. So I I can promise you the Bengals are in a position where they feel like they they hold all the leverage because in all likelihood they do. They 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 know that Bates will return maybe not to early parts of camp, maybe not even to the preseason, but by the time the pads come on for real for week one, Jesse Bates will be ready to play and he'll be wanting to play because he'll want that money. And knowing that I think the Bengals are confident that they're not even really interested in trading him.
0: Yeah. So let's, we've got a few more to get to, I think um, we've got things queued up in a couple of different spots. Yeah. Uh, Let's see here. 937 area code gave us a text. Why does the team not utilize more screens? Puts the pressure off the quarterback when a defensive – there might be a little typo here. When a defensive end rushing or – when a a defense is rushing nonstop, especially in the Super Bowl. So why does the team not utilize more screens? (laughs) Um, There's a lot of reasons for that. You are a lot wiser than I and can explain uh, these things better than I. I will say Joe Mixon, um, when the screens are set up well, he excels at them. Um, But the problem is the Bengals and their offensive line deficiencies, and I'm sure you can expand on this, John, they have kind of disallowed them to regularly do these and regularly run them effectively. Um, And then there's been, you know, based on where the offense was before Zach and, and with Zach, but I mean, you have to have athletic offensive linemen and capable offensive linemen to be able to get out in space and, and work this, work those plays. And, you know, really, I, I feel like the, I think it's more of a personnel issue more than, you know, play call issue, but you can, you know, you can probably debunk that if you want.
1: Well, why would you claim that I know more about this when you literally just explain the, the exact answer? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I, think-
0: love, I I love that you verified it.
1: Well, it's the truth, though, because whenever they do run screens like no one gets blocked. That's why they right. fail. And that's why they don't <laughs> run them as much as people want them to. But I guarantee you this question was asked because he's still bitter about the Super Bowl, because that was probably the one time when that probably could have helped because of how yeah. just under duress the offensive line was in the second half. And I remember that being like a key point of criticism to not. Why why are you not relieving you know Burrow in the passing game with maybe an implementation of screens? Because. The Rams defensive line specifically was getting really, you know, aggressive and just getting downhill. So maybe in that one game, it would have helped. But looking at the other 20 game sample size where it didn't really work, it's not a tremendous surprise why they didn't.
0: Do you think that they will see that more often this year then with the personnel they've brought forth in the offensive line? Or is it just more they're going to because Burrow talked about how teams are going to defend them deep more and more this year. Obviously, you yeah. talked about that recently. And, you know, you've still got mix in. I'm really curious to see if this play call, these types of plays, screens and whatnot, are called more often. Obviously, we've talked a little bit about Chris Evans and his role going forward. The thing is, though, just real quick to go back to the question itself, while screens oftentimes are safe plays, they are deemed safe plays or they are deemed plays where you can kind of catch a defense napping and get a big chunk yardage play, there are occasions where they are catastrophic, to a game, to a drive, all that kind of stuff. And so when you are playing a, a team that is teeing off on you and you're not you're not getting your hands on guys, you're not getting in front of guys, that's where catastrophes can happen uh, on a given drive. And so I think that's maybe where some of the mindset was. But, um, I mean, I, I guess going back to the question I posed to you about going forward, what you think about the Bengals calling more of that this year and maybe Chris Evans being in that role along with mixing a little more often
1: sure i don't don't really see why not like i think it kind of it's like a double-edged sword almost where it's like if you want to call screens because you're not confident in the offensive line but also you can't call the screens because the offensive line can't execute it it's almost like once you have a decent offensive line yeah you can run them more effectively but is the need to run them as much is it does it exist now because you have a better offensive line that can handle in just traditional pass protection scenarios, so I think the frequency is probably going to be the same, maybe a little bit more because they might have more confidence that they can that that, that they can execute them. I, I just think it's more of an afterthought in the offense. I think basically every offense runs them; it, it's part of like their their base, just just a habit. But it's not going to be like a like a point of emphasis, I guess, this year.
0: Yeah. Um, let's do maybe one or two more and then we will we will get out of here uh what do you what are you seeing john
1: so we have another question from mr whisper um name two players i guess one on offense and one on defense that we believe will show out this year so it could, this could be i guess like our definitive like breakout candidates i know we've done some behind the scenes bangles and definitely check out those segments on our last few shows where it's kind of like under the radar guys who might have an underrated role this year? Might might elevate into a bigger role, but I guess in terms of breakout guys, like one guy on offense and one guy on defense. Anthony, how about you start with like an offensive guy?
0: Breakout player on offense. Um, I just said his name. I think it's going to be Chris Evans, uh, and that might be low hanging fruit there. But I think, and again, you gotta you gotta relate where your expectations may be. But you know, a couple weeks ago, I talked about how. Even as the backup running back, or what have you, Gio Bernard, in his first couple of years, when Ben Jarvis, Green Ellis was eating up a lot of the carries, um, Gio Bernard, for his first two three years in the league, was a one thousand yard from scrimmage player as a as a you know kind of a niche running back. So I, I see a similar talent and a similar skill set. Um, even in a in a taller body than Gio Bernard, and I I really like Gio Bernard in in Chris Evans. I, I see a guy that can do a lot of different things. If the Bengals opt to not go after a Will Fuller and OBJ as a wide receiver, for you may see Chris Evans quite often split out in the slot or doing different things out as a, a player who can give you some extra juice on offense. And I think that. While the coaches and Zach Taylor really like Samaj P. Ryan, he's been a guy since day one, really, or game one uh, of the regular season in the Zach Taylor era in 2019. That has Samaj P. Ryan's been, been here since then, but I think that they really like Chris Evans, and I think that you're going to see a higher volume. So I'm going to say that that's kind of a, a breakout guy for me on offense if the coaches give him the snaps and the looks that I think they will.
1: Yeah, it comes down to trust too. Like, there's a reason why P Ryan was out there for as much as he was, and it's because they just trust him to do more things than Evans. I think for me, it's probably Hayden Hurst. Not necessarily in terms of like he's going to have his most his his like most productive season. I feel like if he's on par with where he was with Atlanta in 2020, like 500 receive yards, like five or six touchdowns, I think that's a fair expectation. I just think we're going to see like the very best of him. It's just like, maybe it's more of just like effectiveness in a role where I think they want to maximize what he can do and not focus on what he can't. And I think they want him to shine in this one-year type of you know contract deal as, as like a prove-it situation. But I think they see more freedom with that position because they have a guy that they can feel can stretch the field a little bit more. So I think we're going to see Hayden Hurst like used in the ways that a guy like Hayden Hurst should be used. And that might not, again, lead to more production than he had in the past because of the other three you know, great receivers on the field at the same time with him. But I think we're going to see a very solid, the best year of Hayden Hurst just from like, like, an, like an eye test, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, what are you thinking on defense then?
1: On defense, I think it's probably a sigh just because the opportunity is there. They're going to be on the field a lot on third downs. And he's just if he's not the most athletic Bengals defender, he's definitely top three. Like that in, in injection of, of athleticism I'm off of the edge that neither Sam Hubbard nor Trey Hendrickson really have. I think that's just gonna be so welcomed and they're gonna want to maximize it as much as possible, get him on the field as much as possible when they think the the opposing offense is in passing situations. So he's gonna get the opportunities to get that production. It's just gonna be really interesting to see how his technique has developed after he took a year rehabbing and, you know, recovering from that injury. You know, maybe that would have stunted his development, but I think back to Andrew Billings, who had a very similar situation, who suffered a torn meniscus in his uh, rookie preseason, missed the entire first year in 2017 came around and he was pretty solid out of the gate and he was a pretty good you know player coming out of Baylor. And he ended up being a pretty decent pro for them for three years. So, you know, with Osai, he's a different player. Obviously, he's going to have different roles, but it's not out of the question that Osai can be effective out of the gate coming off of this injury. It's just going to be a matter of you know, how quickly can he adapt in terms of hand fighting and just his overall technique as winning as a pass rusher.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Akeem Davis Gaither, and you can say maybe he broke out a little bit last year, but... Um, you know, some injury stuff and and different things have kind of stunted the growth a little bit there. But I liked some of the things that I saw out of him last year. And and what Luan Rumo has has done, you know, the first couple of years, you're like, dude, what are you doing? And so now <laughs> that they've amassed talent and they've amassed some structure in some areas on this defense, in terms of you know what Trey Hendrickson's gonna do for the most part and what he's gonna give you now, you know about BJ Hill and you know about Sam Hubbard, you know, but you know, the the tent poles are in place and what he's got now is he's got a lot of other players that are just fun. There's Dax Hill that can do a lot of different things, maybe play the slot, maybe play some safety, maybe, you know what I mean? You've got a guy like that. You've, you've got, um, you know, Von Bell plays a little bit in the box and allows the safeties to do different things there. And then, you know, you've got a guy like Davis Gaither, who, if you look at his college tape, did a lot of different things. And he's a high, high-end athletic guy. Um, and I think when you've got Logan Wilson doing his thing and now he's an established player in the middle of the defense, you kind of give that guy a little bit of like, hey, let's take off the leash and let you do your thing, right? And uh, it's, it's just kind of one of those fun, versatile players that Lou Anarumo has collected. And I think in that third year, that critical third year for, for a player, hopefully he stays healthy. He can use the athleticism, the speed, all that kind of stuff and make some big plays. I, I, I think he could be a fun player for him this year.
1: I remember that draft season. Like I was a really big fan of him just because of his ability to play in, in space and just in coverage in general, he was such an interesting player coming out of app state because he wasn't like a traditional linebacker. He was almost like a nickel defender the way he was almost in the slot a lot of times. Cause that defense was very weird. And I think to most defensive coordinators, they were kind of worried about that because they didn't know how he would project into the NFL, but of course, like you said, with Anna Rumo and just his ideals and in the way that he can utilize players in different spots, he looked at Akeem Davis-Gaither and said, this is a chess piece that I can use in multiple spots. And unfortunately, though, he suffered injuries at App State, and now he's suffered injuries in his pro career. But this is his third year. You know, hopefully he's in the best shape of his life or whatever, but <laughs> he, he, has, he has a definite role within this defense. He's always used a lot against the Ravens, and he'll be counted on Again, against that team yep. this year.
0: So I'm, I'm looking forward to see how he does. Yep. Well, I think that's going to do it for us. We've fielded a lot of questions. There are a few more. Maybe we didn't get to yours. I we, we apologize. I do want to leave you with this one. Look at this. Look at this. 97.1. This is from Sage, Ohio. 97.1 Columbus Radio is still convinced that even if Watson misses eight to 10 games this year, they will have a better record than the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't know what reality some, some of those people are living in, if they believe that. But... Um, I don't know. Uh, let's explore it, little... though.
1: Let's explore it real quick. If, okay. if, he misses, All right. if he misses 10 games, he plays, what, 7? That's assuming they go 7-0 in those games, right? Of course. Okay. They would have to. Um, that means that Jacoby Brissett would have to win, what, he would have to go 4-6? and six? I don't feel like that's impossible, but that's also assuming the Bengals go, like, 10-7, I guess.
0: Right. I- I'm so, looking up, I'm, I'm pulling up the schedule here for the Browns to see, let's just say... Uh, so the, the way the games that would be missed, and I guess I should share this here, the games that would be missed for this, uh, if, if Watson was to miss the first eight to 10 games, you're talking opener against the Panthers, right? Uh, jets, which some people think they're the, the next iteration of the Bengals from last year. We'll see, but others are saying it's still the jets. Then you've got the Steelers, the Falcons, the chargers, the Patriots, The Ravens, what is that? That's seven games, right? Mm -hmm. And you've got the eighth game is the Bengals. Ninth game is the Dolphins, which, you know, that's a make or break year for Miami. And then you've got the Bills potentially as your first 10 games. So you've got some winnable ones. Panthers seems winnable. Jets seems winnable. Steelers seems winnable. Falcons seem winnable. That's going to be a tough game. Los Angeles Chargers versus Browns, even in Cleveland. You've got the Patriots. That'll be a tough one. And then you've got the – you've got – two divisional games in a row at Baltimore and hosting Cincinnati. And then you've got two in the Dolphins and the Bills. So, and then the rest of the way, if Watson were to return, Buccaneers, Texans, another rematch against the Bengals, another rematch against the Ravens, Saints, Commanders, Steelers. I don't know what what that tells you or what it doesn't tell you, but that's how their schedule plays out. This
1: this conversation relies on... Like the fact that the first part of that schedule is pretty easy, like the Panthers, Jets, Falcons, like those are games that a, a fully healthy Browns team with Jacoby Brissett, quarterback, they could easily be competitive if not win most of those games. So that's that's the assumption with that. And that's the assumption of Watson coming back and then not missing a beat after not playing for 10 weeks or 10 weeks and then winning all those games and 10 weeks and was, last year. Yeah, right. Mind you. good Good point. Yeah. And on, on top of that, the Bengals having taking like an obvious step back and regressing and not winning as many games. So it's not unfounded, but it is
0: probably a little biased. It's yeah. it just just a smidge, just a smidge. Anyway, I just thought that was an interesting one. Thank you, Sage Ohio, for that tidbit of info, because I do not uh, regularly tune in to ninety seven point one in Columbus based on where I reside. So. Thank you for letting us know. John, anything else before we hop on out of here, man? This has been a fun one. We haven't done this in, God, it feels like a month. So um, this was a fun one. And again, thank you for spearheading this one because I was an absolute schedule mess this week. <laughs> it's all
1: good, man. I just want to answer Brian's question that he asked three hours ago. Mind oh, you. God.
0: Oh, God. I, okay. you, don't,
1: you don't have to answer, but the answer seems pretty obvious. If I was in my bathroom at 5am and behind the (laughs) shower curtain, there was either a live giant squid or Andy Reed wearing nothing but a quote unquote mankini. The answer is obviously Andy Reed. The squid is going to kill me or at the, (laughs) best case is gonna blind me with ink Andy Reed and the mankini would be an amazing story I would go viral he would teach me his five cheese mac and cheese we would eat it at 6 a.m watch the sunrise <laughs> that would be a great start to my day why would I want a live giant squid
0: <laughs> oh my god what what is it what I mean do I even want to know what a mankini is is that is that a speedo I mean I don't know what that is is that where
1: we're gender specific gender specifying like bathing suits
0: now i guess it's just I, a from man i guess i don't, guess. Know. I, don't know. I don't know what that is exactly uh i'm thinking of i've got visuals of like borat and that neon green thing i don't know if that's that's what that is but uh yeah i that's just brian brian's me, just me and andy reed it would, a- would ball out we, we would chill <laughs> great Andy Reid. Andy Reid. You did spell Andy Reid wrong, though, Brian. Uh, shame oh, on what you. What the hell? Shame on you. Shame on you. But always good to hear from Brian. He always brings the always brings the levity. I love it. I love it. Um, well, thanks, John. Uh, you've got a big wedding this weekend, my friend. You're going to a, a big, big uh, shindig. Have some fun out there.
1: Yeah. If anyone's familiar with Bakken's Ohio and is somehow in the in the region, hit me up. I'm going to be really drunk tomorrow.
0: <laughs> Go for it. Go for it. Uh, We'll have fun. Thank you, everybody. Not only for tuning in, but for everybody who submitted questions and uh, even even Brian and his creative ones that he came up with three. Was it really three hours ago? I didn't see the time stamp. Like 2.30 Eastern time. Oh, my God. Uh, Wow. He was hitting happy hour early. I love it. Uh, (laughs) Have fun this weekend, John. Take care, everybody. Thanks for calling. Thanks for texting. Thanks for hitting us up. Email text, all that kind of stuff. We will be back next week. Like I said, we've got happening headlines. We've got uh, the Believe in Steelers podcast hosts joining us for a preview of the Pittsburgh Steelers in 22 and then our regular show, barring something crazy unforeseen again. uh, But we've got our show and we'll we'll bring you all kinds of new stuff. And um, yeah, so we'll see you then. Take care. Have a good weekend.